risk of loss. Friday, July 7th. I'm Mitch Perry, senior, senior political reporter for the Florida Phoenix, joined by my colleagues, freelance writer and author Ben Montgomery and creative loafing editor-in-chief Ray Roa. Uh, good morning, guys. Good morning. How's hey, everybody morning, doing Mitch. today? Yeah, well, you know, nice holiday week. Short ben, week, ben, baby. Ben was in uh, San Juan. Hot. Ben, you were out of the country, actually. I was, uh, yeah. San Juan, uh, Puerto Rico, down south a little bit, enjoying the 4th of July. So, so you're still in the country, though. Babe. In the country. Oh, right. I know. Yeah, like, it's a terrible country. thing. The 48, as they say in for Alaska sure. and Hawaii. I'm sorry yeah. for that. Yes. Thank you. Um, and by the way, so we're going to talk a couple of subjects today on the show. Um, we're going to talk about some local uh, national third-party politics with the man who's actually the co-founder of the Green Party USA, uh, who has been living here in Hillsborough County for quite some time. And we'll also discuss Cornell West, who, will, uh, who our guests will be running against next year for the Green Party presidential nomination. But first, uh, is there a black exodus from the University of South Florida in Tampa? That was the focus of a report last week in Creative Loafing. And I'll let uh, Creative Loafing editor Ray Roa take it from there, Ray. Hey, thanks, Mitch. And since we never get to do this at the bottom of the show because we're so hectic, I want to shout out the two people who keep the chaos here at Control. Skip Sassy, our board operator, Irene, in, in, in the booth uh, answering phones. If you want to chime in today at all, 813-239-9663. You can text us, 813-433-0885, or send an email to dj at wmnf.org. So as Mitch was alluding to, um, in May, our esteemed governor, Ron DeSantis, signed SB 266 into law, banning funds for any diversity, equity, inclusion programs at state universities and college. The evil DEI, um, as, as it's known. And uh, late last month, Creative Loafing Tampa Bay's Ariel Stevenson uh, reported on a statement from the black faculty and staff Association, BFSA, to USF. The statement um, is written uh, with the Black Affinity Groups, the Committee on Black Affairs and Black Employee Steering Committees, um, alleges racism and silence uh, toward faculty in the wake of SB 266. Um, One quote from the statement, simply put, silence in the face of discrimination and racism is the same as agreement. And the silence of University of South Florida administration before and since the passing of HB 999 and SB 266 is deafening. Um, Administrators tout their dedication to diversity, equity, and inclusion while not openly condemning SB 266. Uh, The statement adds, all the organizations have met with the administration repeatedly. Um, It's not like they don't know what's happening. They may say they're unaware or try to give you some statistics, but what we know is there is a black exodus at USF. Um, a rep for BFSA told Ariel that um, discussed some of the meetings there. Um, and let's just point out that the most recent census data says that black people make up roughly 22 to 23 percent of the population in Tampa. Um, but at USF, um, black students made up 10 percent of the total population in 19, 2019. That's down to 9.1 percent now, according to mm. the student newspaper. Um, the Oracle. And, and as Ben and I were discussing off air, powerful quote from our story, uh, my own conscience won't allow me to assist in recruiting new black students at USF based solely on the climate that um, exists there. And to be fair, 
Um, a rep for USF uh, did tell Creative Loafing that the school uh, strives to provide a welcoming environment uh, where everyone can experience a sense of belonging and that they have the resources they need to be uh, successful. Uh, they've acknowledged the meetings between the groups and um, updates on you know the proposed legislation. And uh, the, the school said their, pers- their perspectives are important to understand as we regularly engage in conversations with the Board of Governors and our elected officials about higher education. And something that happened. Oh, Ben, go ahead. Well, I was going to say when this is when when this was uh, being debated back in March uh, at a board of uh, trustees meeting at USF that I attended, President Ray Law uh, tried to make clear where the university stands, but. In retrospect, I'm not sure this makes it very clear. I'll read you the quote. We are and remain always in support of academic freedom, civil discourse, free speech, and the open exchange of ideas. And we are absolutely into fostering an inclusive environment for everyone here at the university and for having opportunities for everyone, regardless of their background. We will not back down from that commitment. Um, is that a... Well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, not to get too much in the weeds and away from the BFSA statement, but you also have the auspice of the Tampa, the so-called Tampa Five underneath their protesters who are arrested uh, demanding meetings with President Law about uh, decreasing uh, black enrollment. And, and those, they're facing felony charges. Yeah, um, yeah it's the very serious for that. is, is yeah. going through with that. So, so yeah, you know, words are coming out, uh, you know, and then the actions kind of are a little bit juxtaposed to that. So over the holiday weekend of all times, the school paper, The Oracle, on July 4th, uh, reported that it received a statement from the school saying that USF is developing a strategic enrollment plan to identify where works needs to be done and that it would be working with a higher education consulting firm, uh, Rufalo Noel Levitz, to carry out this uh, strategic enrollment plan. No details beyond that. So right now, uh, we're joined here on WMNF by Creative Loafing Tampa Bay reporter Ariel Stevenson and two reps from BFSA, uh, several Robinson, the vice president, faculty liaison for BFSA, and Dr. Frank Pertle III, president of BFSA. Welcome to WMNF. Are you there on the Zoom? Yes, we are. Thank good you. afternoon and or good morning. Good morning. Very quickly, my name is Gavril, like several with a G. Gavril. Yep. Gavril Robinson. Thank you. You're very welcome. Sorry if I missed uh, mispronounced that here as I was reading through. Um, so I, want, I wanted to ask you both, and um, I'll let you decide who wants to take this um, question here. You know, coming out with that statement could not have been easy. You know, can you talk about the road and the months or weeks that led up to deciding to send that statement and how hard it was to finally put into writing so many of these feelings that you were talking about in your meetings? I was- Go ahead, okay. I would say the statement came out of frustration out of years, not just um, it, it didn't just come out of nowhere, out of years of having meetings and putting together strategic plans and submitting them to administration. And I want to touch on, quite frankly, the article that came out about their plan to for black enrollment mind you since that statement came out and it has gone directly to the president she has acknowledged that she's seen the the statement no one has reached out to us so you want to develop a plan for black enrollment without any Black engagement, no black representation, no DEI expertise, no VP of DEI. And I'll give you something else that they conveniently left out of that report that came out on July 4th was that two years ago, 
they hired a black man, an MIT grad, Dr. Lincoln Chandler, to determine how to get more black black student enrollment. Two years ago, he provided a detailed report, and trust me, I will be sending it out to Creative Loafing, um, with recommendation that received no feedback from USF, okay? So this is, again, part of the erasure, part of the problems that we're that we're seeing and that we're addressing. Dr. Pertle, anything to add to that? Yes, and, and that, that statement, again, is, is one that we, um, that we wrote uh, in particular for support of those black faculty, staff, and maybe even students who are at USF to know that the, the Black Faculty and Staff Association, the Committee on Black Affairs, the Black Employment Steering Committee, hears and knows about the issues that you're facing. And despite uh, the lack of statements coming from higher leadership at the university, we are here to support you. We know that there are many things that we cannot control uh, with regard to the passing of new legislation and the acts of political figures who are far removed from the local university. So despite <clears throat> words of support coming from the local university, we are here to provide those and also to provide uh, you know, uh, meaningful support through face-to-face -face interactions and finding out you know, what, what things can we do uh, in the face of, of things that are happening outside of our control. We'll do what we can, and that has, is something that has just uh, been lacking as we talk to um, colleagues and uh, fellow employees here at the university. And, and many of us in this room have been out of higher ed for a long time. Um, can you update us? Just, you know, you talk about supporting the faculty and the students there, but can you update us with a temperature check about what it is like to be a black faculty member and even a student at USF right now? Well, I think just as a black faculty member, of course, we, we deal with the issues and the impacts or consequences of uh, SB 266. But we also have to, we have the general concerns that many uh, faculty in general, whether you're black or not, uh, with the issues of uh, the constraints put on our academic freedom, the ability to have things in our syllabi as trusted experts that we were hired to be. Um, we have to deal with, you know, constraints coming down from state government that says you can talk about this or you can't talk about that, et cetera. Those are concerns that all faculty have. You know, we have we have uh, um, concerns about other laws that have been passed that make it an unfavorable environment for maybe even the hiring of new faculty, uh, new, you know, new new PhDs who are considering places to to advance or to start their academic careers. Well, in the state of Florida, now with this environment, it makes it harder to recruit. It makes it harder to keep faculty who are here uh, from considering opportunities to go other places. So as a black faculty member, we have a lot of issues that just are associated with us being faculty members. But then to be black, <clears throat> it makes it uh, even tougher because there are additional things that many people don't uh, uh, see, and that is something that I call the black tax. You know, when when we have gotten to a point of of, of becoming a faculty faculty member at a university, we have a, a, an an innate 
disposition towards making sure that others come along and we prepare the way for them. This is not a regular faculty responsibility. When I come to the University of South Florida, I feel the responsibility to leave a mark such that those who come behind me, I call them my little cousins, as they come that I've made the way better for them and easier for them such that they have greater access. So that is something that in each of us that is here at the university, it becomes a, 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 a even more difficult task in the wake of things like SB 266, because now these DEI initiatives make it more difficult for me to function as a faculty member and function as a black faculty member to make the way better for those who come behind me. A spokesperson for the Committee on Black Affairs told uh, reporter Ariel Stevenson, my own conscience won't allow me to assist in the recruiting of new black students at USF based solely on the climate that exists here. As Ray mentioned earlier, don't come to USF, the quote continues, don't come to any Florida State University. Ariel, as a student of history in Florida and a product of the Florida University system, have we seen anything like this before? Well, can you put this into historical context in light of like the Johns Committee and some other sort of I legislative love, movements? I love, uh, I love that we didn't cover that last time I was on the air and I was like, oh man, I bet he's going to ask me <laughs> Um, so, yeah, uh, let me just pull up my notes real quickly. So the the Johns Committee, you know, basically USF started, right, as like a kind of commuter school. It was a, a school that was, you know, kind of tucked into the suburbs um, and, you know, had a more had a more transient um, kind of student population to begin with. And, you know, 82% of students still live off of campus. And as Ray said at the top of the show, you know, Tampa's got 22, probably 25, 30% black population. The school doesn't reflect that right now. But if you go back in USF's history, um, you know, the Johns Committee started as kind of a response to uh, the McCarthy hearings mm -hmm. and kind of the Red Scare, you know, fallout. And it happens a few years, you know, I can't find my notes from that story. But essentially, faculty and students were targeted back in the 60s and were aided by faculty and higher leadership to assist like the FBI and state, you know, investigators into false sometimes, sometimes, you know, true, but obviously homophobic, racist, uh, you know, uh, basically scare tactics and intimidation to get them out of the public university system. A group very similar to Moms for Liberty, there I invoke their name, um, you know, kind of started up in the suburbs because this was such a commuter school. So, so many of these kids were still living at home with their parents while they were going to USF and they were getting exposed to all of the beatnik literature and those kind of things because USF was kind of a really cool hotbed for a brief moment with a lot of intellectuals um, that came through. And that was quickly squashed by this reaction by kind of in part state leadership that was looking to pick a fight and uh, kind of helped these community groups start very similar to some of the stuff we've seen with book banning. Um, they didn't want, uh, you know, their, their white kids to hang out with black students on campus. They were very concerned. Um, they had very racist, you know, homophobic concerns. And the result was that it rooted out you know, uh, and and punished people on the faculty and in the student body 
in a way that, you know, somebody could make a case is not dissimilar from what we're seeing today. Um, and it had a chilling effect. I mean, it took USF a long time to recover. Anybody who's worked there for a long time would probably echo that. And, you know, now we're seeing kind of a, a chilling effect um, with this response to DeSantis, um, especially. But, you know, it, it's nothing new, unfortunately, for USF and leadership in the 60s, similar to what we're seeing now, you know, really didn't stand up for or hasn't, you know, arguably stood up for its faculty or students yet in the face of these, you know, uh, arguably fascist kind of attacks on uh, people of color, the LGBTQ community. So unfortunately, it does have a history in Florida, especially at USF. And it seems like that is what we're seeing again in its own, uh, you know, ways. But um, similar responses are happening. And by similar responses, I mean, we're not seeing them stand up for, you know, their student body. And full disclosure, I'm a two-time graduate of USF. So, um, you know, it's it's been interesting to see that come back up. You can look up some of the pamphlets from those hearings. Um, you know, it was a really scary time uh, for faculty and students, and they lost uh, a lot of, they, what do they call it, the brain drain? They right. lost a lot of folks back then. You know, I also want to say at this point that the black business community has had issues with USF going back many years. Um, um, James Ransom, who was on WMF last week on the, uh, the the earlier show that we have here now, the new show with Mario Nunez and John Dinkfelder, he has worked tirelessly for decades to try to get more uh, minority contracts for uh, the black community here in Tampa. Um, and I wrote a story working with James back in 2017 when I was still writing for uh, Florida Politics. And th- this was about uh, USF spending money on uh, with black-owned businesses for construction contracts, for goods and services. Back in 2017, out of the three Three hundred thirty-two million dollars that USF, USF spent on those uh, those services, less than one percent, zero point two three percent, went to black-owned businesses, and that was something that the Tampa Organization for Black Affairs, TOBA, and the Saturday Morning Breakfast Group were working with then administrator of uh, the administration of former USF President Judy Genshaft. So, uh, you have that as part of the context now. We're hearing from the professors uh, at the campus right now. Yeah, and, and as we talk about declining black enrollment here and as we come up on the half hour, um, you know, something that happened after our story published, the, the Supreme Court ruled on June 29th that race-based affirmative action admission policies were unconstitutional. So so my question for, for Gevrol and, and, and Dr. Pirtle, has the BFSA been able to talk about that ruling at all yet? Okay, well, first of all, um, if you know if you're from Florida, Florida has not had race-based admissions since 1999. Yeah, the one Florida plan, oh, Jeb Bush. Right. So, so that doesn't even apply to us. But yes, we have um, talked about it. And and what people don't understand is that affirmative action, like race, is what keeps people t- glued to the radio or glued to the screen because that's what keeps people divided. But it's about much more than that. So is DEI. When we're talking about DEI, we're talking about veterans. We're talking about people with disabilities. We're talking about age and, and as a, fir- uh, a part of affirmative action, like all of these different things. But people want to focus on race because, quite frankly, I think a lot of people already believe if you are of a certain race that wherever you got it wasn't based on your own merit. It wasn't based on because you deserve to be there. Somebody had to give you 
something. And so there's there's the racism is across the board along with it. But yes, we have um, discussed it. And even though I'm saying now that uh, Florida hasn't had affirmative action, race-based affirmative action since 1999, or that it's about much more than race, people are only going to hear what they want to hear and they're going to believe what they want to believe because this new information, you know, cognitive dissonance, if you really take it in and really listen and believe what you're being told, then you may have to change the way you've been thinking for years and people don't want to do that. And so it's the, it's the, and I believe that's what's happening at USF as well. Again, like I said, you had a black person from MIT come and explain everything to you two years ago. You ignore that. And now you put out a story on the 4th of July saying you're using a company that's based in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Okay. Mm. To try to get black students at USF. Mm. It's a slap in the face. Yeah. That's the voice of Gavril Robinson, Vice President, Faculty Liaison for BFSA. Dr. Frank Perto has been here with us as we, around the ha- half hour here and as we get close to the end of this um, segment. You know, I'm curious, you know, the Students for Democratic Society is very active at USF, and we've reported on them, specifically these five students who've been arrested and are facing um, felony charges. Uh, there's a protest next Wednesday um, outside of the courthouse in downtown uh, in support of them. Uh, we never really get to ask this question of, of the black faculty, and now that I have you here, what is it like seeing groups like the so-called Tampa Five um, getting arrested for demanding meetings with uh, President Law about the decreasing black enrollment? I, you know what, I'll let Gabriel has been extremely um, uh, uh, good at staying in contact with and keeping up on that, so I'll let her uh, address it's infuriating. And, you know, one of the things I appreciate about them, and I just saw one at a protest on Saturday, and I was saying how I understand what they were doing. They were, they put their bodies in a position that a lot of the black students um, at USF couldn't put their bodies in. You understand what I'm saying? If they were brutalized like that, if they were, I mean, I saw the videos, if they were treated like that, as people who are not black, imagine what they would have done with black students. But and I appreciate what they've done. I think more people who are not like what we do in the Enlightenment series will have programs for different groups. Everybody doesn't have to be black. You know, if it's LGBTQ, we have program. If it's, you know, people who are Jewish against anti-Semitism, the myth of the model minority. It, we all have to come together, all of these marginalized groups, all these underrepresented groups, because if you attack one, you attack all. And so I appreciate what they did, and I stand behind them 200%. And thank you. That was the voice of Gavril Robinson, Vice President, Faculty Liaison for BFSA, and Dr. Frank Pertle, the third president of BFSA. I know that Ariel Steven, who's here, was, who's here with us, will have a follow-up on this. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Skinny on WMNF. Thank, Thank you for you. having me. Have a great Thank day. You. Thank you, Ariel. Thank, Thank you. you. Mitch? Okay, great. Well, thanks for that uh, very much. Uh, and yeah, we'll continue to read Creative Loafing to get the updates on that. Okay, we're going to change subjects here. Uh, 
now we're, it's the summer of 2024. We're right in the dead, in the middle of it right now. So we're a long way from the 2024 election. Or are we? Yeah, actually, we still are. Still more than a year away. The conventions will be taking place next summer. Next summer, the Republicans in July in Milwaukee, uh, the Democrats in Chicago in August. And let me make sure I see our guest over there, over the, the big board here. Uh, so well, we don't know where the Green Party convention will be, where it will be, but um, could they be a factor in the 2024 presidential election? There is definitely more tension on them now to some extent uh, because of the fact that Cornell West, a noted academic and historian, announced a few weeks ago that he is going to contest for the Green Party presidential nomination. He announced originally for the People's Party, uh, and then he quickly transitioned over to the Greens. Uh, the Greens currently right now are only on the ballot in 16 states, but they hope to get on all 50. Uh, they are definitely already on the ballot here in Florida. And uh, in terms of the other candidates running, we have one of the candidates who's also been uh, announced as a presidential nominee for next year, and that is Randy Toler. Randy, of course, is also, not of course, you may not know this, but he is, in fact, the co-founder of the Green Party USA. Uh, Randy, welcome to WMNF. Thank you. Let's get the microphone on there. Good morning. Good hey. morning to all you in Radio Land. Hey, thank you so much for joining us, Randy. And, and Randy, um, lots to talk about with this right now. So you are, and, and again, there's a story that I wrote on Florida Phoenix that Randy uh, talked to last week. Definitely helped me on that story, and I appreciate that. Um, and, and I think, Randy, we wrote the story, right? There's roughly eight people, I believe, who have filed right now to run for the Green Party nomination. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So um, you have run, of course, you're locally. Now, how, you live in Hillsborough County. How long do you live in, in, the, in the Bay Area here? Coming up on 20 years. Okay. So um, I want to get into the deep, the roots of the Green Party, uh, but you've ran locally. You know, it's interesting. I talked to somebody the other day about this, and I looked this up because this is what I hear from people when I talk about Green Party. They're like, you know, and depending if they're a Democrat, obviously, they, they sometimes, they, they don't, they don't you know, they think of Jill Stein, they think of Ralph Nader, um, uh, they think of spoilers. But then I, I, a friend of mine said the other day, like, well, what about, why can't they run at the lower local level? And in fact, there are Green Party people not only have ran, but are actually in office right now around the country. I looked this up this morning. You may have more accurate numbers than I do on this, Randy, but I believe right now there are currently at least 17 people, uh, green people, green people, green uh, party uh, uh, elected officials on city councils, three mayors, uh, and the 23 other local officials such as college board trustees, zoning boards, soil and water conservation boards. I remember Gail McLaughlin out in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, Richmond. She was the mayor of, of uh, Richmond there for 2006, 2014. Uh, and you yourself have ran for local office on a few occasions for school board, right? 2014, 2016? That is correct. It's important to remember that you're talking about almost a $3 billion budget for the school system. And the largest employer in the county, seventh largest in the country. Right. So it, it's, it's tough to run. Yeah. Now, um, I raise a lot of issues. I've got a, a special needs child and certainly talked about a lot about the budget at the time. They were in crisis. And I, I think that my wife, Alicia Toller, and myself did particularly well in those elections. We got one out of every five votes in the primary, and we were outspent 10 to 1. So a lot of people know my name. I saw a lot of thumbs up and, and waves at the Brandon parade the other day. Oh, the 4th of July parade? Yeah, right. and Green Party. Hey, you know, I mean, of course, we didn't get that going by the Republican folks. There's a little bit of branding going on there, but... <laughs> 
so so okay let's let's get to the, the, this thing that again because somebody challenged me when i wrote this the other day in my story that you are the and you are in fact a co-founder of the green party uh nationally of this party and, and when i think of the greens i remember the uh, the the germ in germany right of the 80s when the the big anti-nuclear war uh campaign was going on people were all afraid of nukes at that time well we're still kind of our movie on Oppenheimer coming out in a couple weeks but um so uh but green party usa obviously different than the green party over in, in europe but um tell me how this happened and this this is the 1970s was it or the early 80s early 80s yeah i'm yeah. kind of walking history here all right so i mean but i feel young i mean i've got a 15 year old a 17 year old and a 21 year old so i don't feel uh old but i can tell you i was right there at the beginning uh corresponded a lot with petra kelly who was the founder of the West German Dream Party. She okay. went over a lot to East Germany to protest communism. I actually spoke with Lech Wałęsa one time on the phone uh, at two, two weeks after he got out of jail. And that was quite something because uh, somebody, you know, of course I had a translator there says, yeah. Toller calling from Los Angeles. Like <laughs> reporters in the room are like, what? So it was really interesting. I'm gonna be writing a book on all this someday. Um, but yeah, so the driving issue at the time, of course, was um, nuclear uh, disarmament. Right. Had millions of people in the streets. And it, it, was, it was a big deal. And the Greens now are number two in the European Parliament, number two in Germany. And they're all over the world. We've had presidential people in the Green Party. So it's time for the U.S. to step up the bat. So again, just uh, so, and you were in Los Angeles is when you became the, the co-founder uh, of the, the Greens? Well, it gets kind of, um, if you want to get really technical here, I was actually the founder of the Illinois Green Party. Okay. Uh, lived in Illinois four different times. I ran for mayor of Aurora twice. Um, my wife actually also ran there too. So you, okay. There's quite a while ago, yeah. but I did well. And then I briefly ran for Congress out in California, got 20% of the vote back in the early 80s. So yes, I, I, and I, you, it's interesting you mentioned the Malathion spraying earlier in the show. I know you guys were hearing that, but I was instrumental in um, developing the protest movements in two separate occasions in Southern California. Well, that's when Jerry Brown was governor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And further on down, and when uh, Pete Wilson was governor, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, I was on the news a lot. I mean, TV a lot. Yeah, I yeah. Put, you know, wear my green jacket there on TV, trying so, to build the Green Party. So, so let me ask you this. Okay, so right. So you've been there from the beginning, uh, 40 years plus now. The Greens, um, I think, and it's fair to say, they probably had more success uh, electorally like in Europe than over here in the United States. There have been, uh, you know, as we mentioned in the beginning a few minutes ago, that they've got some offices here. Uh, a lot of people focus, of course, on the presidential level because that's where most Americans, unfortunately, focus a lot of their attention when it comes to elections and not on other offices. Uh, and, and I mentioned, you know, again, we've had the issue with Ralph Nader in 2000, with Jill Stein in 2016. What do you say, and by the way, we should we can open the phones here, 813-239-9663. Uh, I know some WNF listeners might have an opinion on this, uh, on the Greens. Um, but, uh, you know, you heard this. I, I know, Randy, you did because... WMNF heard about it back in 2000 because uh, the airwaves here, we, Ralph Nader was played frequently here on the, on these airwaves. And the days after the uh, disputed Al Gore, George W. Uh, Bush election, people were actually blaming WMNF because we aired Ralph Nader. But anyway, um, but what did you hear? The Green Party. I mean, a lot of people like Democrats don't like the Green Party. All think you're just spoilers. What do you say to that? Well, I was actually in Illinois at the time. In 2000? And, and, yeah. yeah. And um, I remember watching TV, my wife was pregnant and like 
when is this going to end? I think it came down to what, 516 votes? Uh, 537 like votes. Yeah. 537 in Florida. In an election in which Ralph Nader drew two almost 100,000, right? Yeah, 97,000. He got 2.7% of the vote. And, um, and it, you know, when, it, yeah, when Al Gore lost by 500 votes, it's, you know, a deduction. And, and also Sounds like he- a spoiler to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at it this way. Cornell West. Everybody knows Cornell West. Might not know Randy Toller, but they know Cornell West. Right. He's got a million Twitter followers. He's going to bring in the black community into the conversation. And it's, it's got the Democrats running scared. I mean, it's, it's so clearly... you're excited by the fact, even though you're running against him, but you're excited that he's, you know, part of the Green Party movement at this point. Yeah, and I'm going to play a role here as a co-founder to hold his feet to the fire on the Green Party platform. And so that's very important to a lot of grassroots activists, all right? But the party hierarchy is definitely um, wanting Cornell to happen, but they want it to happen fairly. So, you know, being co-chair of the Florida Green Party, I'm going to be very careful to make sure that all the candidates get you know, equal footing here, but it's really exciting. Yes, Mitch. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask what the, what are the main tenets of that platform right now? For those of us who haven't really paid attention to the green party in a couple of election cycles, what, uh, what do you talk about that gets people fired up right now? Well, certainly the environment, Mm -hmm. I think is, is critically important. Social justice. Um, we talk about, you know, uh, the peace movement, global peace. There's a big conversation going on in the Green Party about the Ukraine. You know, Howie Hawkins being a little bit more pro-NATO. The European Greens, I, I think, are, are key players here because, in my opinion, we should engage them for small territorial concessions in the Ukraine and, and move that forward and push pressure for a peace settlement. Because right now, Howie Hawkins has caused some controversy on that. Of course, Jill Stein, as you know... Now, so Howie Hawkins ran for, was the Green Party nominee in 2020, correct? correct. Yeah. yeah. And so he is more of a... You said mentioning NATO, so he's supportive of uh, this united effort to keep the war going, to, to bring... Russia to his knees, essentially. Yes, yes. And so there's a lot of um, debate about that going on. So, you know, there has to be a nuanced approach here. I think the, the, the U.S. Greens have to become a, a player here. I think Cornell might be, you know, not understanding some of the green perspectives on this, but I think through time mm-hmm. he'll be a great spokesperson. He's already been on CNN, you know, all the, the radio stations, Fox News. So this is only going to get bigger and bigger. Right, right. Again, if you're just tuning in right now, it's 1140 a.m. here. You're listening to The Skinny here on WMNF. Our guest in studio right now is Randy Toller, the co-founder of the Green Party USA. And Randy is one of eight uh, candidates for the Green Party presidential nomination. But as he was just saying, of course, the high-profile nominee now is uh, academic historian and uh, writer, ag- uh, activist Cornell West, who just a few weeks ago declared he would be running for the Green Party nomination. Now, we don't know yet, right, when you're going to have your convention. Is that correct? It's going to be early August. Of next year. Yes. And whether it's in person or not, um, that remains to be seen. Now, for your listeners interested, the Green Party of Florida's convention is coming up. It's going to be the 22nd and 23rd of this month. Oh. Yeah. And where your your listeners can go to gpfl.org. And you can register for it. Uh, Now, Saturday, we're having presentations. Sunday, we're going to do our elections again. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm up for re-election. So uh, is this a virtual event or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah and, and so, right, no, I'm very interested in that. So that's in a couple of weeks, a couple of weekends from now. Yeah. I'll yeah. have Brian Moore running against me. Now, Brian Moore is a, what, Hernando County? Is yeah. that Brian, we know, is a guy that's been on MNF 
uh, decades ago. He's ran for office a few times locally here, right, uh, in, the, in the Bay Area? Correct. Yeah. Uh, he was the Socialist Party candidate a while back for the U.S. Now, he did run um, in, in a district in Hernando County, Citrus County, and there was another Pasco? county. Pasco? Yes. Yeah, yeah. A small portion of, and he got 25% of the vote. So we'll see what happens in that election. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I wanted to piggyback off of something Ben kind of started talking about. Randy, can you tell me your pitch to somebody? Because we have all these conversations when it comes down to presidential politics. How do you convince somebody to vote for the third party in these close elections like that? Well, as a Green, of course, my um, branding is put the Green back in the Green Party. I, I coined the term ecologism back in the 1970s to describe the political manifestations of ecology. I think Cornell West will be challenged to come up with a post-capitalist perspective. So I think I have an advantage there in trying to talk about that. I, I believe in decentralization, self-determination, self-sufficiency with the anti-nuclear theme running with throughout. I believe in bioregionalism. I think that what does that mean? Well, bioregionalism, um, it's keep in mind that there's only been one presidential candidate from the Green Party from the Midwest or South. Okay. All right. So Cornell being an, from academia and the East Coast Northeast. is kind of more right. of the same. Um, bioregionalism involves understanding how political systems relate to the actual uh, ecological systems. It's kind of an old, um, deep ecology term. But, but Randy, I'm going to go back and tell yeah. Ray asked you basically the spoiler thing, okay? Because yeah. again, you know, now it's a little different maybe in Florida. We'll see what it's going to be like in 2024 um, because, you know, we've talked about this on the show. This is a red state. I mean, okay, Donald Trump won by, you know, only three points. I guess it's not, you know, a huge margin. Ron DeSantis won by 19 points, of course, last year. It does feel different than it did even from 2020 in the state. So we'll see, you know, what it's going to be like if, and how much the Democrats are going to really seriously contest Florida because I can tell you right now, doesn't seem like they're going to. I mean, I, and they can give you some lip service about they may come down here a lot. The Democrats don't even have a, a major Senate candidate to challenge Rick Scott. Uh, they've got a lot of issues and, and, you know, we'll see what the Democrats you know, what they come up with. Um, but uh, so historically, people might like go, oh, I've got to vote for if it's Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. I've got to go with Joe. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the polls show like a few weeks before the election that Donald Trump is winning by 10 points. Then maybe, you know, some people are going to feel like I can vote my conscience maybe more than. But if it's closer than that. Right. I mean, we we did a story back. I'm going to get nostalgia here 2000. But there was a thing called uh, a website called Nader, uh, not, not Trader Nader. It was about the idea of trading votes. No, I can't remember trader being a trader, but 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 of a trading votes like Texas, for example, where people um, where that was not that's a red state. Right. That was certainly a red state. George Bush was going to win that state big time in 2000. And he did over Al Gore. But that um, I'll vote for Nader here in in uh, Texas. I might not have, but I'll do that for you. So you have to vote for Al Gore in Florida because it's a much closer because this was an ongoing debate. The fact that, Ralph, you know, when the, the, the election day and it was so close, nobody knew it was going to be that close. But Ralph Nader was a presence in the fall of 2000 where he was appearing a lot. He was with Michael Moore. He was in Madison Square Garden with Patti Smith. There was high profile events because, again, the time was, this is before 9-11, where people, you know, a lot of Democrats and people want to go back that time were like, 
how gorgeous not turn me on. And and now people would say, like, you, you don't have the luxury of that, right? I mean, that's why we made Democrats coalesced around Joe Biden in 2020, where a lot of Democrats voters I talked to, Joe Biden was not by any means their first choice, uh, maybe not even their second choice, but he was the person they felt they could rally around because they wanted to get Donald Trump out of office after he, of course, won in 2016. So, Randy, again, um, you know, okay, Cornell West, maybe he's going to be the guy, and people might feel good about that. But if this race is really close in Florida uh, in 2024, what do you say to that Democratic voter who, or not a Democratic voter, just any voter who um, is worried about Donald Trump becoming the next president and feels that a vote for uh, Cornell West, or perhaps you if you're the nominee, will bring Trump in? And that's what they don't want to see happen. Yes, history is in play here. There's no doubt about it. We're right on the middle of history. There's you know, right here in, in 2023. So I, Cornell West you know, brings a different um, dimension to all of this. Um, it, keep in mind, here in Tampa, we we had almost 400 people at the Cuban club for Jill Stein and your yeah, former employer, Bay News 9. They came out, got him to come out and cover that live. So, you know, something like that could happen to get here again in, in Tampa. Uh, but to, to your question about the spoiler, right now, he's in some polls, about six percent, which is you know pretty pretty good at this point. He, he needs to build the branding. So, well, what sets the Green Party across apart from the Democratic Party? Well, I think one quick answer would be, for example, on the Israeli-Palestinian uh, issue. All right, the the Greens are are very adamant about that. And now, what, now define that. They're, they're adamant in terms of what more pro-Palestinian supportive of the well, the, the Democratic Party. You know, some people view that there's a lot of coastal elites in that party. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, calling out Wall Street, calling out Hollywood, okay. calling out West Coast tech, calling out the New York um, mass media and their uh, support for, for the Israeli government. The Democratic Party's not going to do that. Well, and also you mentioned, you mentioned uh, just the establishment in terms of, uh, uh, you know, other, uh, there's a lot of things that, right, I think many people have issues with the Democratic Party with, and again, and the two-party system America has, you know, I've always thought... A lot, of, a lot of people, though, who have issues work within the party to try to change the party. Right? You know, um, it, it, they can, and maybe on the edges they can do something. I've always felt, this is what I think of American political system is at... at uh, fails at times is that we do st- are so strictly with the two-party system where you'll go over to Europe, Israel, a lot of countries, they have many, many more parties, right? And then they have coalitions. There is still true, a kind of a liberal and conservative, you know, one, two, like you have here with the Democrats, Republicans, but you have p- parties inside of that. And so people can be feel more, you know, um, comfortable with what that belief is instead of just squeezing into the one or two parties here. We, and we do have obviously multiple, you know, third parties in America. There's the Reform Party. There's the, the No Labels Party now that's trying to get some energy going. I was down in St. Pete. Don't Pe- forget about the Sam Party. <laughs> well, 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 David Jolly. Uh, yeah, we haven't heard much yeah, of the yeah, Sam yeah. Party. We should yeah. get, get Joe, Jolly yeah. on here and Andrew Yang, right? They're trying, but they don't talk. I don't know what their philosophy of the Sam Party is, other than we're not the Democrats or Republicans. Uh, I, don't know if I think tr- that might work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but, you know, I agree. I, I, I am supportive. I will say this, um, you know, not to get too opinionated here, I am supportive not for a specific third party, but for the idea of third, fourth, fifth parties. You know, it depends, obviously, what they believe in. But getting out of the strict, hard two-party system, you even have that in, say, New York State, where you have these liberal, different uh, liberal parties that sometimes the, the, the governor, like uh, Cuomo, you know, they had to get the, they wanted to get the endorsement of those 
affiliates of that. Yes, at the end of the day, those people are going to probably vote either Republican or Democrat because those are the old major candidates up there. But in the primary process, you can still have more of those different different level parties. And I and you do see that in other seasons. And I talk to some people over here, and they're like, "Oh no, we've got to do this. We've always had this way." Hey, these parties have not been around forever. I mean, if you look at American history, right? right? I mean, and it could be uh, we could be looking at uh, splintering of the conservative uh, side. Yeah. Oh yeah, around. the Trump, pro Trump, anti Trump, lining up with Trump. Yeah. And and we've heard even if Donald Trump somehow wasn't the Republican nominee, that he would run as an independent. Um, that's why the, the reading up to this uh, debate next week in Mil- uh, next month, excuse me, in Milwaukee, there's this whole thing about you have to agree to support the nominee, which is becoming a little bit controversial, whether that should happen or not. Um, you can't see the eye rolls in the in the studio right now. <laughs> right. Well, some have said no. I think I think Chris Christie maybe has said no. Will Hurd uh, from Texas has said no. Uh, and it was, can we bring up right now? Okay, so the Democrats obviously right now are going to you know anything changes and things could change. Uh, a year from now, we're going to nominate the ticket of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and yet polls continuously show and stories continue to float about other people. I'm talking about Gretchen Whitmer from Michigan. I'm talking about Gavin Newsom from California, maybe J.B. Pritzker from Illinois, Phil Murphy from New Jersey. Uh, you know, there is not a huge um, appreciation maybe for D- Joe Biden for different reasons. Maybe some people think he's done a fantastic job as president, but yet his poll numbers, approval numbers, don't get much higher than the low 40s. And it's been like that for a couple of years now. Uh, any thoughts about that? What are approval numbers? Well, do you think he's doing a good job or not? And more people are saying overall no. I just, the whole idea is flimsy. Doesn't it change from day to day whether you approve of someone? I know my feelings about Ray change all oh, the really? time. All the so time. You know, all the time. No, no, I'm, it's just so fickle, it seems. Uh, and I know these numbers for Biden have been low a long time. But look, he's coming on the heels of a guy who's on television every single day, a guy that we could not escape. get away from, yeah. we couldn't escape, and and. Uh, President Biden has been different in that he is, you know, a different guy. He's not always the center of attention. And I think sometimes approval ratings don't necessarily reflect how we feel about someone, but whether we're seeing that person on television a lot. I, I would agree with well, that. Well, you're not seeing uh, Biden a lot because he doesn't do any press conferences. That's right. At all. And he's not the really spokesman of the party. That's why I, you know, whatever people think about Gavin Newsom, I, I love the fact that he was on Sean Hannity's show a couple weeks ago on Fox News, and, and I thought uh, did a very interesting job. But also, remember last summer when he started airing some ads, he got so mad at DeSantis. He started doing things. I think people, uh, Democrats like that because they, they heard somebody uh, speaking out against what Ron DeSantis, who... You know, Ron DeSantis may be, you know, struggling a bit right now, but he is, I would argue, is the dominant politician in America in terms of the coverage he has received and the, the po- policies that he's enacted. Um, uh, you know, much as many people don't like them who maybe are listening right now, nevertheless, he has accomplished a lot. Uh, whether he can make it all the way, you know, we'll wait and see. We'll know that in the next six or seven or eight months from now. But my gosh, and you do not hear much from Joe Biden because he just hasn't do a lot of talking these days. Now, by the way, um, Sam has written us here, uh, excuse me, Charles, excuse me, we're talking about the Sam party. Um, Charles is admonishing me here, but he says, you know, the Sam party <laughs> rebranded as the forward party quite a few months ago. Mm, okay, yes, yeah, so you might want to follow them more closely. They, this, they, they, that could be a viable solution. So thank you for that, Charles. I apologize. I'm blaming Zuckerberg for not pushing that up to the top of my feet, man. Come on. Okay, man. it's the forward party, no, no longer Sam. 
Um, and, and actually, I, I do, you know, really, we, we could definitely get J- David Jolly, uh, who was a member of that party. Um, uh, and, and we got a phone call here. Okay, let's go to the line here. Uh, okay, let's see. We've got uh, Simon who wants to talk about the Green Party. Good morning, Simon. Simon, are you there? I'm oh, sorry. No, that's okay. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah. sir. You know, when I listen to the, uh, you guys talk, you're very informative. I like it. I like it. But it always seems as journalists, you're always punching down rather than punching up. And so with reference to that, you, you look at the economy that we're living in. Interest rates have been raised 10, per, 10 times. The Fed may raise it 11th time. Uh, the 30-year fixed mortgage just went up to 7 point. I believe it's 2-2, which is going to add another $1,000 or so to mortgages. We're not really living in an economy where the growth of the wages is outpacing inflation. Yeah. No, inflation is a major problem, by the way, and I think that is a, definitely a, a drag on Joe Biden, even if it's not as, as his hollow fault. Well, every president's going to say it's not their fault right. because they're going to say that the previous administration were cleaning up the policies of the previous administration. Real quickly, as far as, I'll just throw this in as the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it doesn't sound to me like the Green Party is pro-LGBTQ with regard to the Palestinians, I'll move on. Um, do you want to do you want to address, address that, Randy? Randy? Well, the Green Party platform supports that community, so I'm, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. It's pretty pretty obvious in our, our platform positions that uh, we are behind that community. Well, that community just decapitated a gay man. I suppose we'd have to fact check. That's news to me, Simon, so we, we could fact check that here. Okay, you're more uh, than welcome. I can guess we could fact check the same thing that Ariel Stevenson said about whites not wanting to hang out with blacks. That, to me, seems editorial with all due respect. I, I didn't hear her say that. Okay, I, Simon. I'm not sure where yeah. you're coming from. Uh, all right, Simon. Appreciate, appreciate it. Though. Thanks, Simon. Thank, Thank you for the call, Simon. Let's go to Fran and Marco. Hi, Fran. Oh, hi. Uh, just one quick question. Is there any chance of the Green Party putting an ad on TV? And I'll get off now and let you answer. Thank you. Thanks, Fred. It takes a lot of money, Randy. Does the Green Party have the funds to put an ad on television? Absolutely. You know, you were talking about when this thing gets clicking, a million dollars in matching funds. And Cornell West in particular is gearing up his operation. You'll see some really good, effective ads. I noticed Trump was quite effective with his ads, for example, with the, um, eating the you know, DeSantis eating the pudding. Uh, <laughs> if you all haven't heard that, uh, listeners out there, you got to take a look at it. But so, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, the... Um there's a lot. There's a lot to go through in the next year, obviously, but we're going to see. But yeah, Cornell West obviously is going to bring something. But you know, the, the, there's a lot of things I wanted to think about what uh, Simon just talked about. I do think inflation uh, is something that um, is some of the worldwide phenomenon in terms of other countries are dealing with that too. But yeah, I mean, people don't care about that in America. They're like, you know, where, where am I at? And it definitely costs more. I know that people talk about eggs costing more. I buy salmon every week, and it, it really is like um, like four bucks more every time a pound than it was a year ago and that's very frustrating so that is that's why joe biden is vulnerable and that's why you know i i again i i encourage maybe some other uh, mischief in the democratic party because i just think that that you know you're gonna have still at this point it looks like it may be joe biden versus donald trump or joe biden versus uh, ron DeSantis, 
And in a one-on-one matchup, as we saw in 2016, anything can happen. Uh, and he is uh, very vulnerable. And, you know, so... Uh, we're going to have to just wait and see how those those things play out. And Randy, I know we're getting short on time here, but you know, we're talking a lot about inflation. What is the Green Party's line on in- inflation, and, and what does it say about that? And, Our and economy, how, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of discussion about you know the, the banking community and their response to all of this. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, I buy the, salmon the for the my stock. Reserve, the Federal it, Reserve. I mean, like wait, yeah. Simon mentioned that, the fact that they, they didn't raise interest rates uh, this past month, but there's indications they may do it again, actually. Yeah, so there's a lot of conversation, very arcane conversation about that going on within the Green Party. We have a banking committee that is focused on that and a, a party platform about that. But Mitch, you're right. That that's a bread and butter issue. Everybody's going to be thinking about, and the Green Party will be razor focused on that. Okay. As well. So, by the way, so we do have the story up here. Uh, it was from BBC News. Uh, this is well. This is actually um, from last October, but nevertheless, uh, a story about a gay, gay Palestinian uh, who was beheaded in the West Bank. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think these are like 2022 stories, but right. I still don't understand Simon's argument that the Green Party was not supportive of the LGBTQ plus community in Iran. Well, I mean, I, I think it's a, a point about um, using yeah. this as a token murder. Well, to 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 to. to Maybe put, put put down the Palestinians. I think roughly because there was a violent act there that happened there. Um, but anyway, we can uh, you know we'll we'll go on for that. We just have a couple of minutes left to go here. I, can yeah. I ask Randy a question? How many times have you run for office? Been asked that a lot. <laughs> What's uh, the answer? I mean, the answer would be five times. And and, I, and this is a more important part of this question: Why? Why do you why do you run again and again, Randy? Because is my mic on? Yes, sir. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I I believe that I can make a difference. I believe I've already made history as co-founder of the Green Party. I mean, I was the first person to register with the election, Federal Elections Commission. I I'm going to keep on going till this last breath in my body to to push the Green Party. I saw you know sorry Patrick Kelly's not around today to see what has happened, but the Green Party is truly making history around the world. Yeah, and and again, the difference being, of course, running for the school board versus the president, I mean, I would just think, you know, you'd have a better chance at the school board, and you, <laughs> but you did do that. You did that a couple times. You attempted to do that, right? Uh, so, so at least you've, you've, you've done that. You tried that anyway. Um, because, and do you think that, I mean, really on the local level, you can make more of a difference? I mean, I mean, obviously the president of the United States has the most power in the world, but nevertheless, um, in your community, you know. Can you tell us in 30 seconds? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the Democratic Party wasn't happy. I was behind them in the parade the other day with the Green Party signs. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I can make a, a difference in the local community. And um, it, it's, it's... And school board races, by the way, are so political now in a way that they were when you were running just uh, six years ago. Yeah, years well, of course, DeSantis has got his fingers all over that. He, so Absolutely. Um, he's not... He's uh, we, had, we had Jessica Vaughn on here a few months ago, who DeSantis... Uh, is, is challenging uh, supporting her, her opponent. I guess, yeah, we have an opponent for her now. Yeah, so it's become very uh, partisan. Uh, and by the way, I think we're going to have, actually speaking about, we're going to have school board partisan races. I believe that that pastor, I don't know if it's going to be a presidential amendment. I'd, I'd have to check that one. I'm yeah. sure we talk about that here right. um, on future shows. You've listened to the voice of Randy Toller, co-founder of the Illinois Green Party. He'll be on the ballot uh, with Cornell West right. the primary for ballot. Next year, next year uh, uh, for the presidency. Uh, but Randy, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, and thanks to the representatives from the Black Thank Faculty you. Staff Association at USF. Uh, my name is Ray Roa for Ben Montgomery. 
Mitch Perry, Skip Sassy, our board operator, and Irene on the phones. Thank you so much for tuning in. Art in your ear with Joe Allen Schilke is next on WMNF Tampa. See you.